Welcome back to the Point of Order podcast, an inside look at California politics and the state legislature. I'm your host, Assemblyman Josh Hoover, and I'm joined today by a returning uh, co-host, Assemblymember Vince Fong from Assembly District 32 in Bakersfield. Welcome back, Vince. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are embarking on our uh, last three weeks, I guess, now, or by the time this podcast comes out, two weeks left of legislative session. What are your generally general feelings about the end of session and kind of the you know the, I don't know you're just how you feeling? <laughs> well, the end of session is always a chaotic time. I, I think you and I are kind of in the same boat of, of shared pain. Like, what is gonna? What are the last minute deals? What are the last minute bills that are going to to get jammed through the legislature? And how are we going to communicate that uh, with the public? And we see this now with uh, yeah. you know this unemployment insurance. Um, a proposal to give it to striking workers. Uh, we're seeing a lot of these like uh, labor bills. I mean, uh, we have an insurance uh, proposal that's trying to stabilize the insurance market. All of these things are happening, but you only, as you said before, I mean, we've got a couple of weeks left and speed is not our friend. And when you try to develop policies in such a quick manner, yeah. um, you know, the outcome is normally not good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, I'm actually hearing, and you're the, uh, vice chair of our budget committee as well, but I'm I'm hearing there's uh, still some remaining budget bills that we have to vote on, despite the fact that we supposedly passed a budget back in June. Well, this is obviously the result of of what happens when you have rushed bills, and the the budget is 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 one of the busy, busy, the biggest examples. So you got a lot of bills. I've never heard of the phrase "clean up" language or "clean up <laughs> bills" until I got elected to the legislature. But, you know, a lot of these bills are going to clean up mistakes that were made in, 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 in earlier budget uh, proposals. But again, you know, you've got a budget bill and 10 trailer bills that are that were uh, introduced in the dark of night. And now we're scrambling to try to figure out what's in them. Um, you know, things that affect community college funding, things that affect, um, you know, the state's going to get more involved in the production of, of drugs which is going to disrupt the market when it comes to, 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 to you know, medicine. Um, you know, you've got more debt uh, that the state is going to force uh, a lot of agencies to incur by forcing them to take on bonds. And these have tremendous implications, not only to our fiscal health um, in, in California, but for all taxpayers. Yep. Because, you know, if there's more debt or if there's more uh, spending, you know, who's, who's going to pay for it? It's going to be Californians. And so, you know, we're just trying to uh, hold everyone accountable. And we're, right now we're digging through, like, Tons and tons of proposals. Yeah. Is there anything like uh, of interest uh, in these budget bills that you're aware of yet? Or is it just like? Well, I mean, the, the, there is a lot of fees that are going to be increased. Okay. That's a that's a big problem for us. Um, and then I, I think the one that we're trying to get more specific on, uh, more specifics on is what's uh, impacting our local community colleges. Okay. I think the, the state of California, uh, the governor's uh, uh, proposal is to claw back some of the student housing money that was provided uh, to, oh, wow. uh, to community colleges. And then the, in, ex- in, in exchange, because of our, our, our like, challenges fiscally, they're going to um, kind of push the community colleges to take on bonds and to take on more and to borrow more. Wow. So, I mean, talk about talk about an empty promise. Previous years, we gave community colleges funding to build more student housing. And then now they're saying, hey, you know, all of the all that money that we gave you to build student housing, uh, we're going to take it all back and, yeah. and we're going to make you take on more debt. That's not that's not fiscally responsible. 
That's crazy. Um, yeah, the borrowing. Well, that's actually a good transition into kind of our weekly recap. Um, you know, one thing that you and I have been talking about uh, on the theme of borrowing is that, uh, you know, the legislature has passed a number of bonds, uh, basically asking voters to to borrow billions of dollars um, over the next uh the next few years, uh, or well, really the next dec- few decades, probably. Um, and there was an editorial in the SAC B this week that kind of talked about this. We've got uh, proposals this year on uh, education infrastructure, uh, another school bond, essentially, uh, a flood protection bond. Uh, we have a, a fentanyl eradication uh, bond proposal. Uh, that's uh, $5 billion. Um, I think that flood protection one is in the $6 billion range or something like that. Um, the education one is obviously like huge. It's $15 billion or something. Um, you've got a housing housing bond. Uh, uh, you've got a mental health expansion uh, bond. You've got climate change response bond. You have a farming sustainability bond. I mean... How many? How much debt are we actually going to be asking voters to, so the, to uh, take on? This is a very frustrating um, d- debate when we have in the legislature, and, and, and you're in it with me. But you know, California's budget is on an unsustainable path, and and bonds are more debt. I mean, we take on. I mean, we know about debt when we even buy a house or we borrow for a car, and 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 this is no different. So C- California has a spending problem, um, and the revenues are into the state are, are coming in less. Um, you know, we see that with the with the slowing economy. If you look at the projections and over the revenue compared to projections last month, I think um, the the revenues coming to the state was one billion dollars less than projected. Wow. So, yeah. you know, the economy is definitely in a precarious situation. So, the way that the governor tried to address the the deficit that we were that we have in in, in the budget that we discussed and that was jammed through was he he made some cuts, but he shifted a lot of that spending to bonds. Yeah. And then on top of that, you've got all these other bond proposals. So if you if you aggregate all of these bonds, we're looking at, at over $100 billion. That's insane. Of, of bonds. And, and of course, we have to pay that back. So not only do you have to look at the cost of the bond, but what's what's the debt service? What's the interest and everything else that the, the state is, is, is going to obligate? And that comes out of the general fund for the most part. Absolutely. So, you know, and so you look at like the, the budget we had, $310 billion. You don't think we could have invested some of that money into, you know, into fentanyl prevention? Yeah. That we could have used some of those resources to invest in housing, to invest in, in water storage. All the things yeah. that they want to bond for, we could have paid it, paid it through the general fund with yeah. the resources we had. But because of uh, the misplaced priorities uh, the governor uh, and the Democrats had, they pushed all that money to to those misplaced priorities. And then now they're going to force uh, Californians to pay for more bonds. Hypothetically, if the voters uh, d- uh, voters vote would it, have to approve, voters it, have to right? approve for it. It just seems like a terrible time to be going to voters with these requests. I mean, obviously, you know, people love schools. People love, uh, you know, uh, obviously a lot of these priorities, flood protection. Um, you know, people care a lot about mental health. Right. But it seems like a terrible time to be going to voters and asking for this sort of commitment and this sort of, you know, spending increase, sure. essentially. Well, it's a hard choice um, because the voters are asking, wait, why didn't you invest in those things first? So right. before we before we ask the voters to, to go and take on more debt, 
maybe we should look at our own budget and say, you know what, flood protection is important. We just dealt with massive uh, uh, rain and snow and, and, and what, what we, the, the most recent uh, you know, tropical storm. Well, don't you think that we should invest those things? If, they're, if it's our top priority, then we should make it a priority in the budget, not just set it aside and, and just take on more debt for it. Well, yeah, it just seems like we're constantly asking for more, you know, like it's never enough. We're constantly going back to the taxpayer and saying, you know, uh, we we just need more money and that'll solve these problems. When in reality, I mean, I think that we're we're probably wasting a ton of money in our current budget and, and we're not spending the money we are spending efficiently. I mean, you and I have talked about homelessness and the billions we're spending on that with negative results, right? Like, I mean, it's just, we spend and we spend and we spend. And that's a great point. You look at homelessness spending and the, the fact that we needed to be doing audits and, and you led the charge on that. But, you know, the the, the mental health uh, uh, services reform that the governor is asking for is tied to bonds. Yeah. So there's a big push for the counties to offer more services and and all these unfunded mandates. Yeah. And then and, and the way that those, those mandates are going to be potentially funded is through bonds. Well, what happens if the bonds don't pass? Yeah. So then all our counties are forced to, to deliver services, needed services for sure, but and the state forced them to do it, but then there's no there was no resources um, uh, to tie to it. I mean, yeah. and then and again, we're all paying for it, and 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 of course people need help, but they're not going to get the services, and the and counties are going to be forced to make tough decisions because. Uh, the the Sacramento wasn't responsible. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like uh, we're constantly asked for m- more money, and we're doing very little to uh, to fix our own our own problems. And, we got to get our fiscal house in yeah. order, and I think and we can do it. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. Like folks like you and me, like, if we if we sat down and said, okay, let's have uh, a, an audit and a hearing on every single agency in California, and they, yeah. let, what are you using the money for? And before we bond, let's let's look at let's look at your budget first. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one of the, I think, top examples of government waste uh, might be the EDD, the Employment Development Department. Uh, there was a big story that came out this week. Uh, the state auditor has this list of high-risk age state agencies in California, basically the agencies that are most at risk um, and that are, you know, uh, not acting in a responsible way. They added the EDD to their list uh, this week that was announced in their yeah. report. I'm shocked that it took um, so long. Right? I mean, I mean we thought I probably, we probably thought it was should have been on that list uh, from from the very beginning. I mean, it it should have. I mean, and then you you look at what happened during COVID. We had a you know, 30 billion dollars in fraud uh, through the EDD, uh, unprecedented fraud across the nation. Um and and in addition to that, you have now an $18 billion debt in our unemployment insurance fund to the federal government that our employers, our small businesses are going to be the ones that have to pay back over the next decade probably, right? And so we have, we have literally created this problem for our small businesses that they're going to have to pay back in the form of a payroll tax. Um, and, and it was purely created. I mean... Certain people are going to blame COVID. This was this was created by irresponsible uh, actions by the EDD, uh, and not a single other state is facing this problem. I mean, that's the reality. Just us. So I mean, the, I mean, there's no way to to defend the EDD. I mean, this is another. I mean, this is not the first audit. I mean, this is a, again another frustration. This is not the first audit that has indicated 
that uh, that the structural uh, flaws uh, of the of this department. And then, as you mentioned before, um, you know the the fund is insolvent. We've got so much debt. Uh, our employers yeah. are going to be uh, are right now on the hook that, w- and we shouldn't, and they shouldn't be. We should be. We should have paid off uh, this this uh, debt with when we had a surplus. But as you mentioned before, out of all the states in the country, only California and New York have massive debt yeah. left. Yeah. Every other every, state, every other state has, has paid has off it. its yep. its debt. So uh, we have a lot of work to do. This is definitely. I mean. Th- uh, to call it a high risk agency is an understatement, and 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 we're going to have to really, you know, dive into their into their into their operations and 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 fix it. Yeah. So the the state auditor in their report said EDD is unable to reliably estimate improper payments under the UI program, thus adversely affecting the state's financial statements as well as impairing efforts to independently evaluate the efficacy of EDD's own fraud prevention activities. I mean, the crazy thing about this is that they they gave out money that they shouldn't have given out. And then you had a ton of people that were eligible for money that were applying for it that couldn't get money because of some issue with their verification system. And so you had hardworking Californians getting rejected. Literally, our offices, oh, gosh, uh, yes. you know, were the ones that the Assembly and the Senate offices were the ones that were working to get money for our constituents that they deserved and that they needed. Uh, meanwhile, you've got People in prisons getting EDD dollars yeah. fraudulently. I mean, it, it. I mean, the whole thing is backwards. If, if you look at the definition of government failure, I think this is the this is the prime case study. And the EDD is is a complete mess. Uh, the governor certainly has failed in, in in trying to 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 fix this agency, and it, we're beyond strike teams and and and, yeah. and 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 more and more bureaucracy and more. I mean, we have the the evidence. I mean, every single yep. audit that's been done has outlined all the things we need to do. Yep. We just got to now do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's extremely frustrating. I will uh, shift gears here to kind of our weekly, uh, I guess, story on retail theft and organized crime. So Dick's Sporting Goods came out and basically said that uh, retail theft is to blame for a pretty substantial decrease in profits uh, for the for their chain. It's funny. It's not funny, but it's interesting uh, that it was Dick Sporting Goods that put out this statement because actually the Dick Sporting Goods in my city in Folsom uh, got basically robbed um, and a, a giant you know uh, loss just in the store in my city. But I mean, just kind of adding to this trend of of retail theft that we're seeing across the state every single week. Uh, there's a new story, um, and so yeah, I just thought that was an interesting I one mean, to bring up. These these stories are are constant. These videos that we're seeing on social media, these smash and grabs. I mean, whether it's Southern California, Cent- the Central Valley, uh, you know, San Francisco. I mean, you've got uh, malls closing because of of the crime and 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 and, and organized retail theft. And the the challenge is is that you know the governor announced that you know he's going to triple the CHP presence uh, in yeah. LA. Yeah. Well, that's only dealing with the symptom. You know, yeah. the, the, the uh, Glendale Police Department um, arrested one of the suspects for uh, that was um, that they believe was involved in one of the smashing grabs released on the same day on, 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 on zero bail. I mean, so, again, these are the real world consequences of all of the soft on crime uh, policies pushed by the ruling party up here. And we have to address Prop 47, reform Prop 47, 57, AB 109. I mean, 
all the things that, that, that you've been ta- talking about. I mean, the public is waking up and they want something to change. And we have to increase penalties on criminals. Yeah. And, and we have to give our law enforcement and district attorneys more tools to go after. Yeah. Well, and to hold people accountable. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's I, I actually did a, a an interview this morning with Comstock Magazine, who's actually doing a, a big story on Proposition 47 right now. And looking at what it's going to take to actually, you know, make a change there. And and a lot of the questions uh, were related to, you know, why doesn't the Assembly Public Safety Committee pass any reforms? Yeah. And we got into that whole discussion. Well, we, like, and we and we <laughs> we have to be the adults in the room. I mean, we are we have to look at the data. We have to we have to we have to look at the the the, the information that's being provided by our law enforcement and district attorneys. I mean, Prop Forty Seven isn't working. I mean, if you aggregate. All of the the losses. I mean, we're looking at over one billion dollars in losses uh, as as a state. I mean, you look at the the, the major retailers and then the small businesses. Yeah. Um, and then these aren't victimless crimes. I mean, you I mean imagine you taking your kids to the Nordstrom and all of this thing, all of this happening, or people getting robbed or uh, walking to the to their car in the parking lot. I mean, we go to the stores now. Everything's locked up, or yeah. the stores are empty because you can't put anything on the shelves. I mean, we're seeing this everywhere. Yeah, it's um, I, I, I part of me believes that if the voters were given an opportunity to to change something this time around, if it got a fair title and summary, which is a big if, um, you know, that they would happily vote to to change Prop Forty Seven or repeal it. And there right? and there's talk now of I mean, I uh, the, the California district attorneys uh, have put an initiative, submitted it to the attorney yeah. general. Um, it would do. Uh, it would reform Prop Forty Seven. It would deal with fentanyl. It would uh, deal with homelessness uh, and, and the causes of when it comes to drug addiction and and, um, and mental health. So you know, you know, if the legislature is not going to act, I think the voters are going to have to. We have to go to, directly to the voters, and they're going to have to send a message like "enough is enough." And, and I think they're telling yeah, us that. And this is the the beauty of our system in California is when the legislature is not doing its job, you know, the citizens can step up. And assuming the leg- assuming the Democrats don't try to game the system, you know, we see that with the ACA thirteen now, where there's there's an initiative they don't like it, so now they're going to try to you know move it around or increase the vote. Yeah, that's a fair point. ACA thirteen is one that. Uh, yeah, I, I know it's not on our list today, but it's uh, something it's to crazy. talk about. You, I mean, I mean, you'll bring, I mean, you'll you do a whole, about. You could do a whole show on ACA 13 and just all the the games that's played up here. So, summarize ACA 13 for me. So, is that the one that would basically say if you want to put anything on the ballot with a two thirds? Uh, tax, you know, requirement that it would have to be passed with a two thirds vote. So there's an initiative that was that that was qualified and uh, the Taxpayer Protection Act, and it was to increase it was it it was to increase the thresholds for all taxes, whether it's local or state, uh, to be a two thirds, and um, and that was to protect Prop 13. That was to right. protect uh, uh, the, the I mean the taxpayers uh, across the board and any tax that was uh, imposed by the state legislature. Would go to the voters for their for their uh, for their um, their say. Well, the Democrats don't like that, so now they're going to say, "Well, that that initiative, only that initiative." Now, instead of instead of al- allowing it to be voted on and passed by a majority, now they're going to say, "Well, we're going to change that, and we're going to say now your initiative before it takes effect has to be passed by two thirds." So two thirds of voters. Two thirds of voters now have to approve it to to allow it to go through. <laughs> And and the thing is that is that this is now I mean this is 
how frustrating it is because I mean the Democrats have 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 uh, the control and and up here in Sacramento, but now they're just putting their thumb on the scale. They don't yeah. even care what the voters say. Yeah. They're going to say, well, you know, the rule the rules of the game uh, that in terms of like what how how initiatives should be passed. Like we're going to change it just for this initiative, not for any other tax initiative, yeah. just for this one. It you know the thumb on the scale thing I think is what's most upsetting. I mean because it's it's not the first example, right? And I just mentioned title and summary. I mean we, I feel like the majority party or whoever is in power in the attorney general's office is constantly putting their thumb on the scale on initiatives because uh, they have the ability. A partisan office has the ability to write what the voters look at, the title and the summary of all these initiatives. That's why Proposition 47 was named the Safe Schools and Neighborhoods Act, even though it did the exact opposite of making our neighborhoods and our schools safer. Um, And so, you know, I I think that is something that's just not talked about enough. It's it's terrible process. And this is the thing. Our our state has a very rich history in direct democracy. People uh, have, you know, can, can argue that. But at the end of the day, we get elected by yeah. the voters yeah. and we trust the voters to make the, the right decisions. So now all of a sudden, if the ruling party doesn't like a proposal that's before the ballot, like they're going to give it a bad title and summary. They're going to increase the voter thresholds. They're going to change everything to make it as Stack difficult as deck, possible. Yeah. And that is antithetical to the concept of direct democracy. Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of our initiative system is to do what the legislature is unwilling to do. Exactly. <laughs> so. and, let, and let the voters decide. We make yeah. our case to the voters and, and we let them choose. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We'll see how those fare. Um, so last last note in uh, our, our recap, there's a new leader has been selected in the Senate um, that I think probably won't take over until next year. I think there's a, they're working out the like transition. That. Yeah. But uh, S- Senator Mike McGuire um, is, has been elected by his colleagues to to be the pro tem uh, in the Senate, um, uh, taking the place of uh, Tony Atkins, who uh, was previously the Assembly Speaker, and then went over to the yeah. Senate and, and quickly became the pro tem of the Senate, um, leading um, that body. So, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I think it's just an interesting note. I don't know if you, I don't even know if I have any real thoughts on it, other than it seemed a little cleaner <laughs> than. Our uh, recent assembly speaker battle, we, right? we, they, they got we, pretty messy. We had some chaos on our uh, on the assembly side. <laughs> uh, I think theirs was a, a little bit smoother transition. Look, we'll see. I mean, any new leader that comes in has opportunities and challenges. You know, the the Senate. Uh, you know, to to your listeners, I mean, they got more progressive uh, over has over the last uh, uh, over the last few years, and so you know. As as their as the, as our partner on the other side of the, of, of the of the house, uh, our hope is that he'll just try to bring some you know common sense and balance. Do, but do you have we'll see. do you have hope in that? I mean, do you, do you think that uh, he's a little more uh, balanced or well? Uh, I don't know. Moderate time maybe. will tell. I mean, the only I would say this: the only predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm gonna be I'm, I'm gonna be a realist here and say that well, things change dramatically. Probably not. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we make policy in the world of politics, and I hope that he'll have an open mind and yeah. he'll listen to to all sides. Yeah. I mean, that's what we've been asking for. And at the end of the day, let's let common sense prevail. Yeah, no, I think that is definitely the hope. Um, interestingly, he turns out in 2026. So, I mean, this is like 
I feel like a very short term pro tem. Exactly. And then you have another, you have cycle, another challenge. And then we're going to be talking about this again in like a couple of years. Probably. probably. So, yeah. you know, I, I thought that was an interesting that they didn't choose someone with a little more uh, longevity, although I know he has the respect of a lot of his colleagues, obviously. But um, yeah, it's just kind of, it's an interesting thing because it's just like we know it's going to be short term. Yeah. Really. Exactly. Right? So, like, what what so is what is he going to try to do? What are his priorities? Yeah. I mean, what can you do in three years? And right? that, and that so. I think we got to figure that out. Yeah, or two even. So yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to, you know, our new speaker, their new pro tem, be able to work together on some things for the betterment of California. Right. Uh, time will tell. We're all problem solvers. That's I yeah. mean, you. You've you've definitely established yourself as that uh, yeah. as someone who just focus on solving problems in our state. That's what we all uh, are trying to do. And at the end of the day, we hope that they'll you know, be open-minded and pragmatic. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the most we can hope for right now. Um, all right, shifting gears to our segment uh, where we're looking ahead at what uh, we're going to be discussing over the next few weeks in the legislature. Uh, the big one really uh, off the top has been, you know, for years has been wildfires, uh, insurance, uh, you know, obviously cost increases, but in a lot of districts, non-renewals, Uh, particularly in districts with, um, you know, high fire risk. Uh, We've seen a lot of Californians losing their fire insurance. We've seen uh, insurance carriers leave the market uh, in a number of cases. Uh, I mean, really, really major shifts in this world uh, that are not sustainable. Um, And so there is talk that there's going to be a bill, or or there is a bill, I should say, but there is uh, negotiations going on on a bill. Uh, to at least somewhat address this issue, yeah. uh, what have you heard about kind of the this end of session uh, plan, I guess, or, or proposal to address our insurance yeah. crisis? And and do you think it's going to make a dent? Was as one of the new members on the insurance committee. I mean, I, we, I've definitely been thrown into it. But you know, as as you've indicated before, you've described it perfectly. It's an insurance crisis, and this has this has been intensifying. I mean, this yeah. is, this hasn't just happened. Uh, as someone who represents, uh, you know, current Tulare counties, uh, you know, high fire areas in, in in our modern communities, but I feel like all of California is kind of a high fire area right now in terms of what we're dealing with uh, when it comes to catastrophic wildfires. And so, you know, the insurance commissioner, because of his inaction, has has just allowed uh, chaos to ensue and this yeah. crisis to intensify. And so, the, the insurance carriers that are providing insurance. Um, you know, they're leaving the market. State, the State Farm an- yeah, announced State that they're Farm. not going to issue any more um, uh, policies. Uh, farmers has, 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 has pulled back a little bit. Uh, everyone's now kind of been forced into the FAIR plan. The FAIR plan has become insolvent because, you know, all yep. of those... Um, and it's the, prohibitively costly, right, for a lot of California So you force, you force the FAIR plan, which is, yeah. is capitalized by the insurance carriers... Uh, you, you force them now to to incur all the costs. These ca- these catastrophic wildfires are getting massive. Um, adverse selections happening, and so you've had you've have an unstable fare plan. Yep. You've got not enough uh, in- carriers in the market, and so you can see how all of this, these things are interacting. And the the one uh, entity that is responsible for managing and 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 keeping stability in our insurance uh, market, the insurance commissioner elected by by the voters, has not done his job. Yeah, and so now we're scrambling to try to stabilize the, in, the insurance market. They're trying to get this uh, proposal uh, done in two weeks. Yeah, you know, uh, and and so it, 
the framework is is constantly changing. So we'll see. Uh, I, I think uh, once we get the proposal, you'll have, have another podcast on it and we'll have to d- dive deeper into it. But um, this is a tough one. Yeah, it's a really tough one. I mean, I think there's a lot of Californians that are, I mean, I hear about this a little less in my district, but even in my district, there are folks that are getting non-renewed. Yeah. And um, and really, when whenever you see a market shift like this, whenever you see giant providers, you know, pulling out of a market like this, it, it really increases the costs on everybody. And, and you need uh, cer- and and we need certainty. Like yeah, you just can't, yeah. you know, the, the, yeah. all of these decisions that are made when it comes to to the market. I mean, they're market dynamics. So, you know, using catastrophic modeling. You know, we're the only state uh, that doesn't allow it. Yep. Uh, reinsurance. We're the only state that doesn't allow that part. Um, and so th- incorporating those into, into decisions, um, getting more data, um, you know, fixing the, fixing the, the, the choke points in, in the, in the market and, and within the insurance, uh, you know, commissioner's office. And I mean, this is a, this is a huge lift. It is a huge lift. I think the big question on a lot of people's minds is, you know, can we recover from what we've allowed to happen? And it know? has to work. And I mean, it, you, you it, can't just, I mean, we yeah. can have the, all these negotiations yeah. and, and, and conversations, but will the insurance carriers re-enter the market? Right. Will the fair plan right. be stabilized? I mean, we ha- that's what, at the end of the day, we are in a results-oriented business. Yeah. And so if there's this big proposal that's going to happen, the obvious question that everyone should ask, ourselves and every Californian, is, okay, is it going to work? Because there's, there's no point in having this exercise if it's not going to stabilize the market. Yeah, well, and and I feel like the longer we've let it go on, like the worse it's become, and the longer you wait to take action, I mean, the harder, the harder that hit is going to be, you know, to fix the problem, yeah. right? So, uh, our colleagues in the Senate uh, Republican Caucus sent a letter um, to the Insurance Commissioner, I think last week, and they talked about the hard truths. Uh, that need to be addressed, um, you know, and so their list was, you know, rate adjustments, reinsurance and prospective catastrophic modeling needs to be authorized, which is what you just mentioned. Uh, the rate review process needs to be accelerated. Uh, insurance discounts for home hardening need to be authorized. We need to modernize our market. I mean, you know, this isn't on the home insurance necessarily, but on the car insurance side, you know, I've talked to the insurance carriers about the technology yeah. that exists to really more um, more accurately predict risk yeah. um, that we do not allow in California. We don't allow that those technologies to be used. And so I think there's so many things that we could do as a state to modernize our insurance industry and our insurance market, but um, we haven't been willing to do that. And so I just, I, I think we need to have this conversation this month because if we wait until next year, it's only going to get worse. I'm really worried. Yeah, it's only gonna it, get we're going to have to do some. You know, it's going to be even harder, right? So we, I had this conversation with a, a um, you know with another legislator, and it's, it's he said something very interesting. He's like the problems we're dealing with, they're not they're not new, right? But as more time goes on, they become larger and more intense. You know, you look at the our insurance crisis, you look at homelessness, you look at public safety, yeah. you look at uh, rising gas prices. We warned the governor about all of these problems. And we warned probably the previous governor of, <laughs> right. of all these problems. Right. As all these policies are layered on top of each other, you're going to make the problem worse. And they all ignored every expert. They ignored all the warnings. And now we're at a point where 
everything's at a crisis. California yeah. is in crisis right yeah. now, and now we're trying to figure this out and fix yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, uh, um, well, well, yeah, future podcasts will report back on the results of these discussions, but uh, uh, definitely an important conversation to have. I think the the last thing in this segment that I wanted to talk to you about is we've got a big appropriations suspense deadline coming up uh, this week, September 1st, actually the day this podcast is probably going to come out. Okay. So this this will be somewhat timely, uh, hopefully, and we'll know more results that day. Uh, we also have a big press conference tomorrow morning that's going to happen before this podcast airs on some of these bills. But, you know, uh, there's some pretty major public safety legislation in the Appropriations Committee that we're keeping an eye on um, that we're, I would I would advocate needs to be held in, in the public safety, I'm sorry, in the Appropriations Committee and uh, not move forward to the floor. Um, but uh, a few of those, so we've got this bill, SB 553, um, that would basically require employers to uh, create an extensive violence prevention plan, uh, require them to hire security guards, install alarms, uh, create alert systems, uh, you know, just all kinds of put put this the onus on employers and, and businesses for the consequences to of respond all, all to all the, the policies, policies that we have passed um, in this state that have made this retail theft and this crime. So serious, uh, we have a bill, SB 94, uh, that would allow an individual sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, basically to apply for resentencing, to be able to become eligible for parole. I mean, the people that get this uh, level of imprisonment, I mean, it, the, the crimes that you have to commit for that to happen is, pretty bad. Heinous. Is, is heinous. So, And then lastly, SB 81. Uh, that would expand the early release of inmates by basically creating a presumption that um, every inmate should basically get parole um, with very limited exceptions. I mean, these are all taking us more down the road of, you know, the policies we're already seeing, the detriment, you know, the the consequences of. So, uh, you know, I, I'll be at the press conference. Hopefully you're uh, – I, I know that we're both in line on these, but I'm just yeah. – it's like when is this going to end? I mean, we have to stop the insanity. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we talk, we've, you've talked about how like there are just no consequences anymore, and we see the 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 what's happening in our society where criminals are thumbing their nose at law enforcement and at our district attorneys and at our laws in general. And then, so what's the response by the ruling party up here? Well, we're just going to even let more people out, and we're going to yeah. have even laxer consequences. Um, you know, this is this is this is insane. Um, so, you know, we're going to watch, I mean, we're all watching the suspense file very, very closely. For those who don't know, you know, it's, it's like, it's like legislative purgatory. You yeah. Know, it's, 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 it's there. And then the appropriations chairs can either let the bills out or not. Um, and so, uh, well, and seeing, it's supposed to be based on, you know, cost and fiscal, you know, constraints. I mean, any bill over $150,000 cost in this, yeah. in the assembly gets held on the suspense file by default. Um, but you know, so much of this is political yeah. oh, and gosh. it's very behind the scenes. Like we don't know, um, what conversations are happening behind the scenes. I mean, these so. are the, I mean, these are the bills we want held and stopped. Yeah. But you know, there are some like, you know, we, we, you and I are, are supporters of SB 14 to, yeah. to make, you know, a, a, if you traffic a child, that should be a strike. You, we should, we should increase the penalties at, at, to the, to the utmost when it comes to someone that's going to traffic a human being. We want that bill to get out. Now, who knows what's going to happen there, yeah, but yeah. we're pushing really hard 
um, to get that out. We hope it doesn't get watered down with any amendments, yeah. you know. Um, but I mean, this is this is probably the 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 craziest thing. Is like a bill to increase penalties on trafficking of a child that's struggling to get out of committee, and then all these bills to 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 allow people who who are in prison for life to let them out. Like that's how clear of a contrast can that be of misplaced priorities by by the Democrats up here. Yeah, and I think we're going to our our constituents and Californians are going to reap the consequences if these bills do pass. Um and and you know, I think just this the hypocrisy of putting the uh kind of all these requirements on small businesses and and companies to protect themselves against you know, these the this rising retail theft oh. that we're seeing. You're you're meeting with with small business owners, I am too. They're like they're, they're they're pleading with us and like yeah. okay we're getting crushed by people stealing everything in our stores yeah. and instead of dealing with that you're going to put the burdens and the responsibilities on us yeah i mean that's that's incredibly that's frustrating crazy. yeah it's uh it it is so uh we're going you know we've got this big press conference tomorrow morning um thursday morning so again this episode will release after that but um you know the the other bill we're going to be talking about besides SB14 which is the human trafficking uh penalty increase that we want to pass uh we would like to see these three bills senate bills stopped yes. um uh but the the final bill we're going to be talking about at the press conference is ACA4 which is actually a constitutional amendment that would allow convicted felons to vote while still in prison um and that would have to be approved by the voters i'm not convinced the voters would approve that but um the fact that we're even considering sending it their way uh i think again it's just another example of misplaced priorities yeah i mean the 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 honor of voting is reserved for those who 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 are rehabilitated and don't commit serious crimes i mean that have lasting effects on our communities and you know the idea that we're gonna um do this is uh, i don't know it's just doesn't make any sense yeah yeah so um We'll report back on those. Uh, well, the the fate of those, all those bills, or a lot of those bills, will and be that's decided. just the tip of the iceberg. I on mean, well, I mean, oh, the, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how many bills are on the suspense file? Probably we're looking at probably a thousand. A few, if you if you yeah, aggregate hundreds like, in yeah. each house, right? Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it's pretty substantial. So uh, moving on uh, to our just for fun segment, you weren't at the legislative softball I, game. I, right? I uh, because of the the uh, the tropical storm, I got oh, right, a late, right. I got a late start, so I missed the softball game. Were though. you going to play in it, or were you just going to watch? I was going to. I was probably going to watch. Uh, I I missed all the practices, and <laughs> and and my my fear is always I want to I don't want to be that member that gets hurt. Because uh, you know, I was like, you know, a lot of times, like we we played the soccer game. Yeah, the, the, yeah we played yeah. the the, the legislative soccer game, and I think we do a better job of like stretching and preparing yes. our set, warming up for soccer. For some reason, softball, we just think, oh, we're just gonna warm up our arms, <laughs> and then and, and then, and then hurt, we never yeah. warm up our legs, and then people get hurt, you yeah. know, pulling a hamstring or or rolling an ankle. And I just wanted to quickly recap it because last week I talked to Heath Flora about the game because we both were gonna play and he, in and the he game. Hit for the cycle, I heard. Uh, he he did have a very good game, yeah. But uh, you know, it was Northern California versus Southern California legislators, and Northern California won seventeen to sixteen. Uh, 
uh, with a walk-off single in the ninth. So it was, it was a very exciting game. But we had a bet. Heath and I had a bet last week on the over-under on injuries. <laughs> and we both agreed on two. And there were exactly you two. You nailed it. Yeah. yeah we got it right. So it was uh, 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 Assemblymember Matt Haney dislocated his hip. I, I mean, saw the photo. He couldn't even walk. It was brutal. Oh. Um, and I feel for him. I mean, the moment it happened, it was kind of a freak accident. But And then... Uh, Assemblymember Damon Connolly fractured his ankle in warm-ups, taped it up, didn't oh, really realize it. Yeah. He 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 taped it up right before the game started, thinking he just rolled it or something, fractured it in warm-ups, played on it the whole game, and oh, then went, no. and then found out he broke it. It was just like, I mean, my gosh, these are some serious. Yeah, they, they, right? there's always a few <laughs> every single year. That, these are about these are probably the two of the more serious ones, but man, yeah. We're not as we're not we're not as young as we we probably no, pretend we're not, to be. but yeah, I had to report back on that bet because it was uh, Heath was right on on that. But um, uh, moving on here to our clip of the week, and this will be our final segment. Uh, I wanted to play a bit of a speech that our colleague Assemblymember Devin Mathis gave recently, and he was actually on the podcast a few weeks ago too. Um, but we we had a resolution this week where we talked about suicide prevention. And mental health and the importance of you know advocating for these causes and making sure people are getting the help that they need. Um, so I'll, we'll play this video and then uh, we'll talk a little more. You all know I got a purple heart. You know I was injured in combat. Some of you I've shared. Then when I came home, I came home to nothing but my car. My accounts were in the red. The VA handed me a cocktail of pills. Here's a bag of pills. Thank you for your service. I was 25 years old. I was told I had a body of an 85-year-old man. Here's a bag of pills, son. Thank you. That cocktail of opioids and uppers and doubters that I was given messed me up. With all the other emotional distress of being back, of wondering why God let me live through that to come home to what I came home to. And I had an attempt where I tried to take my own life. So that's just uh, yeah, very a very emotional speech. Yeah, I, I mean, mean yeah. that was an emotional uh, session. I mean, to hear um, Assemblymember Mathis share his story, to, to hear Assemblymember um, uh, Pellerin, Pellerin share yeah. her, her story. I mean, um, I mean, powerful. I mean, certainly, I mean, more people need to share their stories about how suicide has affected uh, their lives, and 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 you know, we need to certainly focus more on mental health and. I mean, yeah, that was that was a very heavy session, but but glad that a lot of these folks kind of put it out there and kind yeah. of removed the stigma of, of having that conversation. For sure, and I think uh, you know these are conversations that, or these are stories that are going to lead to conversations that need to be had on you know where our dollars are going in terms of mental health services act. Um, yeah, there is a proposal to, I guess, the governor's pushing a proposal to reform. Uh, how Mental Health Services Act dollars are spent. Um, I think, you know, it's a tricky issue. I think Politico reported 
this uh, last week um, or recently that, you know, in recent negotiations, uh, his initial proposal had required, you know, certain spending on um, substance abuse treatment. Uh, That has now become optional, I guess, in the proposal. I think the bill number, I don't have it in front of me here. Let's see. Uh, Bill number is uh, SB 326 uh, by Senator Eggman. Um, But, you know, I, yeah, curious about your thoughts on that discussion, but just like where our state needs to head. I mean, I think we spend billions of dollars, especially when it comes to homelessness, right, um, on housing. But I don't think we put nearly enough to, towards resources that actually help people. Well, um, when it comes to, we talked about issues. this earlier in the hearing these, the, these, these stories, I mean, you just never know where people are and, and just the need to invest more in, in mental health prevention or mental health services and, and suicide prevention. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to, we have to, we have to prioritize that. And, you know, you have these proposals that are, that are beginning to shift resources from, from one bucket to the other. You know, it's in the housing, uh, in the homelessness space, you know, there's been this big push, like we need to spend more um, uh, on housing. And while uh, many people like would agree with that, the housing component isn't on it by itself. You have to have the housing plus mm-hmm. the services. So if you don't have one or the other, you know, then are you, are you actually, you know, are you being effective? And I think, you know, when I've talked to my county, you know, so all of a sudden, and, and I think this is where there's been this big push for more flexibility is like, okay, well, now you're shifting money into into this housing bucket, but all of these critical services that we're providing when it comes to counseling mm-hmm. and, 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 and and drug addiction services and, and mental health services, well, how do I how do I sustain that? Yeah, how do we you fund know, they're, it? Yeah. They're, how, they're, you've got all these programs that are in your community and my community that are doing a tremendous job, but now instead of now I gotta make I, I gotta make a, a kind of a Hobbesian choice. Why? continue that funding or do I have to shift it to something else? Yeah. And, um, and, and that's, that's, I think an unfair, uh, choice, uh, to give to, to behavioral health directors and to our counties and cities. Yeah. Now I, it, it'll be interesting conversation to follow. I think, uh, it's an important one. I think, uh, you know, in his further in his speech, you know, he, assembly member Mathis made the point that like, you know, it's great to talk about suicide prevention and to share stories, but at some point you got to take action, right? Yeah. And and you have to address the opioid crisis. You have to address uh, getting people help. Yeah. Uh, and the mental health challenges are, I mean, they, they cross ages, they cross demographics. I mean, certainly we hear the challenges of our veterans and the need to get them huge, services yeah. or the trauma they've seen. We see this in our youth uh, from the pandemic and yep. with the, the impacts <clears throat> a lot of times on... Uh, on social media, what they're, you know, in, and everything that are bombarded with in society. I mean, there are challenges that we have to invest in our mental health, uh, 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 needs of, of the, of our children, you know, you know, you, you've got, it expands the, our, our whole entire society. That is the crazy thing, right? I mean, our, our veterans have needed this support for a long time and for obvious reasons. And I think they deserve it uh, more than anyone. Um, but then, you know, you had the pandemic that really, I think, accelerated a lot of these problems across the board, uh, particularly when it comes to kids. I mean, kids really took the brunt of the pandemic, what I would call, uh, you know, problematic pandemic policies 
that kept their schools closed and things like that uh, for far too long. They really took the brunt yeah. of uh, of that as well. So yeah. we have to and we and we're all dealing with. You mean you're you're a parent? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, of a teenager now yeah. and some yeah. younger kids. Uh, I have friends of mine that that um, that are, are are parents of teenagers and younger, and in a lot of yep. the effects we, we won't see until maybe later exactly. on. Yeah, so it's crazy. Well, uh, that's going to wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts uh, before we take off here? We just got a few more weeks before the end of the session. We just got to work hard and 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 you know try to keep the public as informed. Exactly. This is the yep. this is the, the 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 value of this podcast is it allows the the public a glimpse of what we're dealing yeah. with up here in Sacramento. Well, and there'll be lots more to talk about over the next couple of weeks for sure. <laughs> it's uh, an understatement of the day. <laughs> so we'll be back next week. Um, if you want to share ideas for future shows, you can email pointoforderpod at gmail dot com. Uh, please follow along on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Uh, you can subscribe on YouTube. Um, and you can follow us on all the social media uh, outlets, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Facebook, at Point of Order Pod. And then you can follow Vince and I. Uh, my Twitter account is Joshua underscore Hoover. And then Vince is at V Fong. Um, yeah. So, hey, Vince, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having and me again. It was great having you back. Of course. And uh, uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Look forward to it. See you later.